0: Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall F50. I'm Kathy Tu, co-host of Nancy. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org slash stonewall50. And if you love these episodes as much as we do, we encourage you to subscribe to all of these great podcasts and share your favorites with your friends. Okay, Tobin, what's up next?
1: Up next, an episode from our WNYC
2: newsroom.
0: In 1969, the Stonewall Inn was a dive bar. It didn't have fire exits, but it did have filthy toilets. Glasses were rinsed quickly in a washtub and reused over and over again.
1: So if you were a regular, you knew to order a can or a bottled beer and wipe it down. The newcomers didn't. They were having drinks, which was a mistake because you could get hepatitis, and I think a few people did.
0: That's Martin Boyce. He was 21 that year and a regular at the bar. He says... Stonewall had its problems, but it also had some big things going for it. Number one, the city's Human Rights Commission had ruled three years earlier that bars could no longer refuse to serve gay people. Two, it was one of the few places that let everyone in the door. Transgender people, effeminate gay men, people of color, butch lesbians. Three, it had a great jukebox.
1: mostly soul, and it was the black drag queens that controlled the jukebox, because they would Vogue in front of it, and they would block people they thought would not play appropriate music. Those queens are tough. They didn't go to Stonewall to sit through boredom. They didn't want to hear Peter Paul America.
0: Music mattered at the Stonewall, because it was one of the only places in New York where gay people could dance together. They could even slow dance while touching
1: I've been loving you.
0: Tommy Landigan-Schmidt was 17 and a runaway. And dancing is why he came to Stonewall. He'd put a few coins in the jukebox and choose a romantic
2: ballad. Because you felt like a human being for the first time in your life, because everyone else could dance slow in their high school and every place else. And uh, that was the first time I ever saw same-sex dancing. And
0: you want to be... Here's what being gay was like in 1969. There's no rainbow flag, no pride parade. Gay men and lesbians could be fired from their jobs at any time. They could have their apartments or their children taken away from them. In the eyes of the world, they were perverts and pedophiles and mentally ill.
2: Ralph was sick, a sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious. You see, Ralph was a homosexual.
0: That was from a safety film shown to school children. It wasn't exactly illegal to be gay, but it was close. It was a hassle to own a gay bar, so it might make sense that Stonewall's owners were in the mafia. It's assumed they were paying off beat cops to leave them alone, or at least give warning of a raid. But that wasn't foolproof. On June 28th, 1969, the police roll up unexpectedly. It's 1 a.m. early Saturday morning. The NYPD's vice squad walks into the bar with almost a dozen officers. Usually, they strike early on a weeknight, before patrons have had too much to drink. But not tonight. They flip on the lights and start checking IDs. Victoria Cruz wasn't inside that night, but she identifies as transgender queer and lived through plenty of raids like this one.
1: If the bars were raided during that time, you better have three articles of clothing that pertain to your birth sex. Otherwise,
2: they pulled you in. There was never actually a specific rule that required three articles of clothing.
0: George Chauncey is a historian at Columbia University.
2: But both the police and the people they were regulating thought there was such a rule, and they enforced such a rule.
0: And there's another especially humiliating moment.
2: By a number of accounts, the police were doing sex checks on some of those transgender women, actually checking on their sexual organs to see What sex they were.
1: Sex checks? Yeah, they check if you were a boy or girl.
0: So the police arrest anyone who didn't pass their sex checks, plus anyone who didn't have ID.
1: And
0: then something happens. There are competing stories about this. Some witnesses say...
1: Listen, cuz, I heard it was a drag queen threw a shot glass at the mirror.
2: Or... No, no, no. Someone threw a brick. Or... It was us.
0: It was the lesbians. We were the first ones. We resisted arrest. A persistent rumor is that the riot was sparked by the death of Judy Garland. We know that's not true. But this is what is true. It was hot out. People were drunk. And it was the 1960s, a time of political militancy and fighting back.
2: The Stonewall attracted a lot of people of color. Black and Puerto Rican genderqueers and transgender people were by far the fiercest people on the streets of New York who would just not, put up with being harassed either by guys in their own neighborhood or by the cops.
0: Cruz was born in Puerto Rico and was raised in Red Hook, Brooklyn. She says if she was wearing any drag at all, the police would stop her.
1: If you were walking down Christopher Street, the cops would come and stop you. If you're in complete drag or facial drag, try to pick on you, say, hey, would you like to see my nightstick? I said, no, would you like to see mine? Deputy Inspector Seymour
0: Pine led the NYPD Vice Squad. A few years before he died in 2010, he described to an interviewer what happened next.
2: I think it was like a lark for them. It was a release of energy. They could now fight back for all the times they had to slink away without being able to say anything and take whatever crap the cops were were giving at them. And once it broke loose... It was very contagious.
0: Outside, bar patrons start shouting and struggling with the police. Some throw pennies. Street kids arrive and join the fight. Martin Boyce remembers it vividly.
1: A riot is not a pretty thing, and it's not a stationary thing. You don't stay in one place for very long. You move. You twirl.
0: Pine then orders his officers to retreat into the bar. He knows he doesn't have enough hands. They barricade themselves inside and wait for backup from the 6th Precinct. On the street, someone lights a trash can on fire and throws it through the window.
1: It has smells, sweat, burning wood, haze coming up to your knees and spreading up further and spreading out.
0: Someone else pulls a parking meter out of the sidewalk and starts battering the door.
1: It has its own momentum, its own feeling.
0: At some point, riot police come with shields and helmets. Then, there's a moment of stillness, a face-off. The police officers stand staring at the bar patrons. They expect them to turn and run. Boyce says, instead, they go for the unexpected.
1: We knew we had to do something. So we all grabbed onto each other and did a kick line. And we sang, we are the village girls. We wear our hair in curls. We wear our dungarees above our Nelly knees.
0: The police charge and the hard fighting begins. Until Stonewall, gay people didn't really think of themselves as a people. But fighting together, shoulder to shoulder, was a turning point.
1: To me, it was like some sort of liberation. You're treating us like, you know what,
2: all these years, now it's your turn.
0: The riots at the Stonewall Inn go on for two more nights, and another night the next week.
2: It is curious that the iconic moment for the gay liberation movement was something that happened at a bar. It wasn't a ballot box. It wasn't a hiring hall. It wasn't a bus where people were forced to move to the back of the bus. And that's because bars were where gay people experienced their policing and their second-class citizenship most directly.
0: Chauncey says the day after the riots end, nothing much changes. People's lives go on in the same way. But the political response starts coming together soon after. Activists found the Gay Liberation Front, and that group seeds others around the country. Chauncey says that's why we remember Stonewall.
2: I think for most people, it does boil down to just the idea that gay people can resist, and that still means something. That's still powerful.
0: A year later, activists organize a march to Central Park to remember the uprising. It's the inaugural Pride March. It's the first time thousands of people come together publicly to say, here we are, in the daylight, and we're not ashamed to be gay. Jennifer Vanasco, WNYC News. Thanks so much for listening to this special feed, The Sound of Pride, Stonewall at 50. If you like what you hear, you can find more coverage from WNYC by visiting wnyc.org stonewall50.